Morning, everyone. Hello. There's a lovely little voice from over here. I think it was you, Roy. Um, just as we were worshipping there, the thought went through my mind. It's always been, I guess, a philosophy of ministry for me, really, that if, as we gather like this, if people can meet with the living God, things will happen. Lives will be changed. What we need for that is a revelation of God. We need God to reveal himself. Just as we were praying before the service, I found myself praying about God and his otherness. You know, sometimes we, um, I think we get caught up in services and the way we do things, and obviously we do a lot, you know, in terms of our Christian culture, if you like. But fundamentally, God is outside of that. He's in it, he's through it, but fundamentally, he is not that alone. He is wholly other. He has a mind of his own, a will of his own, as we've, I'm sure, experienced. And if we can meet with him and experience him and encounter him, things will happen. I, and I suppose this was what struck me in the worship, I just had a, an inkling, you know, have we been seeing something more of God in recent weeks? So we've just finished this series, The I Ams, and I felt, anyway, I don't know whether anyone agrees with this, but it was just like fresh revelation of God, Christ proclaiming who he was. In that very statement, I am, he's proclaiming he's God. And I just pray that as we begin this new series, we're calling it Christmas Presents Unwrapping, why Christ, the coming of Christ at Christmas is good news for us. And we want God to reveal himself. So let me just pray again, can I, that God will reveal himself to us. Father, I ask that by your spirit now, you would reveal yourself to us again. God, I pray for anyone tired in their faith, anyone for whom faith has gone stale or who maybe who's been away from you. Father, whether they're here in the room or joining us online, I pray, God, that by your spirit, Jesus, you would reveal yourself to us again. May we encounter you, and I pray that some lives anyway would be turned 180 degrees this morning. So be with us now, anoint your word, anoint your speaker, and hear us together. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are verses, aren't there, that capture different facets of who God is. There are some passages that capture the majesty of God. I like Colossians 1. It it talks about Christ and he was before everything and all of that. And then it says that in all things Christ might have supremacy. Hebrews 1 is about a bit like that. He's sustaining everything by his word. And then there's, there's passages where we see when we're feeling in times of you know, vulnerability and weakness, we see God kicking butt. Yeah? 1 Samuel 17, you know, Goliath comes against David and he marches out and he's this hulk of a man and he steps forward and David comes out. He's a little, little lad, really. And David says to Goliath, you know, you come against me, you think you're so big. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, and I'm going to take your head off before the day is through. And then there's Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. 
And uh, he says, you know, how long are you people going to waver? Make your minds up. Are you going to follow God? Or are you going to follow Baal? And let's have, a, let's have a competition. And you know the story of where the altars are made and water's poured on and, and the priests of Baal come and they're crying out and they're crying out and they're crying out and nothing. Is that your experience of the world? You've cried out, you've tried all sorts of things and nothing's happened. And then Elijah says, God, answer by fire. Let the God who answers by fire be God. And the fire comes down. We need that, don't we? The fire comes down, consumes the offering. The people fall flat on their faces. I think it's an indication we are not having a revelation of God as he truly is by the fact that our worship, by and large, is upright. And I think we need to pray that God will meet with us such that we will have more of us prostrate. I always have to consider how to say that word. Because take the R out and it means something very different. Prostrate. We need prostrate worship. Where we just can't help ourselves, but we are on our knees. Let me ask you a question, brother, sister, online. When was the last time you were on your knees before God in worship? When was the last time you were on your face When was the last time I was on my knees? It may be a sign. If that hasn't happened for a long time, we have not met God as he is. And I think we need to cry out that we will meet him as he is. So there is God in his majesty. God kicking butt. And then there are these passages of the God who is so tender and so precious. And Hebrews 4 is one of these passages in in the outline that Erica did for the sermon, she, she quoted an aspect of this. And it was this that really got me thinking for this sermon. It says, therefore, the whole, the whole book has taught about Christ and who he is, particularly for Jews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, the high priest of Israel was the one that came and stood between God and people. The great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, is this great high priest. Since we have this great high priest in Jesus, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Are you you hanging on by the skin of your teeth this morning? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. What that means is he is able. We have a high priest who is able to feel sympathy for our weakness. But we have, been, we have one who's been tempted in every way. I just wonder whether there's not someone here or online. You've been tempted and you've fallen. don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not saying what it is. I don't, I don't know what it is. But this passage goes on to say, yet there is mercy. Let me tell you, there is mercy for you this morning if you've been tempted and fallen. But I want to speak this morning about the God of weakness, the weakness of God. We have a God who is able to sympathize with our weakness. So this morning, I'm afraid, if you've got it all together this morning, this ain't for you. Okay, if there's no brokenness in your life, to be honest, you can switch off for the next 
55 minutes. No, it won't be that long. But if you are aware of your brokenness and your fragility, this may be for you. Let me just say to you, if you don't think you've got any weakness, by the way, and you're projecting something, that is your very weakness. You're trying to mask over it. Let me tell you, I speak from experience. I know what it is to project that we don't have weakness and vulnerability. Are you aware of your insecurities? Does it lead you out of your insecurities to defend yourself? Are you a bit defensive? Out of your insecurities, do we hurt others? Are we trying to prove ourselves? Out of our weakness, have we become weary? Do we feel a bit lost or a bit empty? Like I say, there's good news for you this morning. So why is God able to sympathize with weakness? And I think empathize. I've I've explained to you a few times, I've been on a journey of emotional intelligence, and I now understand, I even know what empathy means. Okay, It's when you understand what someone else is feeling. Did you know not everyone feels how you do in a situation? Okay, That may be one particularly for the fellas, but anyway. So why is God able to to sympathize with our weakness. Well, the passage we're going to look at through this series, actually, is John 1. So I'm going to suggest, let's read this together, these wonderful verses at the start of John's book. It's called the prologue. Um, It kind of highlights some of the themes that John is going to bring out in his book. So let's read these together, shall we? Do you know, it's just gone through my mind. Let's do this. Why don't we stand to read? Let's honor the word by standing to read. As we're standing, we're affirming this is God's word. Okay, so let's read this together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. What is it? I know there's a line. I didn't... For all the Anglicans among us, let us know, please. I'll say it again. This is the word of the Lord. Come on. Take your seats. Thank you very much. Excellent. Amen. What a passage. So what we find in this passage, what I'm going to look at particularly is John 1, 1 to 3 and then verse 14, is what's called the incarnation. The incarnation. It's taken probably from the Latin 
en in carne, flesh, the enfleshment of God. God with skin on in Jesus. Let me tell you, if you've never heard this before, this will change your life. It changed my life. As a student at Swansea University, I went to a talk on the resurrection, and I think whether, whether I'd heard for the first time, I certainly understood for the first time that God has come to earth. God has revealed himself in Jesus, and if he has, we have to do something with that. And that's what led me eventually to pray a prayer. I committed my life to Christ, and honestly, you know, everything changed. I've never looked back. So the incarnation is here. It talks about the Word, the Word becoming flesh and blood. What's the Word? Well, the Word was a Greek philosophical term. It's a kind of quite involved meaning. If you look it up, it had different aspects to it. The most helpful explanation I found is that the Greeks thought of it as the Word being the reason for everything, the reason behind everything. So there was, says John, the Word, the Word in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word, this reason for everything, was God, is what John's saying there. And then it goes on in verse 14 to say, and the Word became flesh and blood. So the Word that was before everything, that was God, became flesh and blood, and it's clear that is Jesus. So the Word is God who is Jesus. So Jesus is God in human form. And again, you may never have heard that. I don't know everyone here this morning. I don't know everyone online. You may never have heard that before. But let me tell you, we need to sing about that. We sang it in the first carol there. You know, the Word became now in flesh. Word of the Father, now in flesh, appearing. We need to keep singing this every Christmas. Just to remind ourselves, let it never, Lord, keep us from it becoming old hat, folks. This is awesome. In fact, Wayne Grudem says about the incarnation, he says this, it is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Now, obviously, that's his opinion, but I think he's close to the mark. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man... And join himself to human nature forever. There is a man in eternity and his name is Jesus. The fact that he would join himself to human nature forever will remain forever the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. How could God become man? He was fully God and he was fully man. And there's a lot of, you know, throughout history, there's theologians had to wrestle with this for centuries, Christian theologians. You know, what do we mean when we talk about he's fully God and he's fully man? And what's the essence of God? And there were kind of heresies, not, not necessarily heresies by people who were trying to lead people astray, but just trying to get your heads around it. You know, Jesus has come and revealed himself. He didn't come with a fully mapped out theology. Paul had to unpack some of that. But even then, theologians then had to go back to Paul's writings and say, well, what is Paul saying here? Let's just try and get our heads around this again. Fully God. Fully God in human form. What if God were one of us? Just a slob like one of us, sang Joan Osborne in the 90s, I think it was. Well, God has become one of us. 
just to very quickly say, it's around this that some of what we call cults break off branches kind of that can look to all intents and purposes Christian, but actually aren't. And I'm talking here about setups like Jehovah's Witnesses, Christadelphians, Mormons. They can look very Christian. They talk about Christ. But often the place they differ is they do not believe the word was God and became flesh. I talked with some Christadelphians the other day. And nice people. And, and we got talking. We got talking about the Bible. This is before I knew they were Christadelphians. And we got talking and we're off. And I thought, this guy, this guy knows his Bible and all the rest of it. And then he said, we're Christadelphians. And I realized, ah, we're going to differ then on the fact that you do not believe Jesus was God in human form and solely faith in him leads to salvation. 1 John 4, 2 says that any spirit that does not recognize Jesus came in the flesh is the Antichrist. doesn't mean it's really, really bad and the you know, devil incarnate. It just means it is, any spirit like that is anti-Christ. Because they don't accept Jesus has come in the flesh. Guys, we need to hang on to this. This is where we differ. So God can sympathize with our weakness because he's experienced weakness because he became a human being let me ask you are you in the middle of weakness right now do you know you're weak i hope this word encourages you because he sympathizes with you but actually there's more to it than he just sympathizes as we'll see so he experienced weakness in many ways. He questioned God's will. He said, is that you this morning? You know, in the Gethsemane, Lord, if this cup can be taken, you know, Lord. He wrestled, at the very least, he wrestled with God's will. Probably questioned it isn't quite right, but he certainly wrestled with it. He got, grew tired and hungry. And there are just three ways I want to look this morning, three ways that occurred to me as I was preparing this. This isn't comprehensive, but three ways that I think Jesus experienced weakness that might encourage us in our weakness and vulnerability. Firstly, he experienced being misunderstood. He experienced being misunderstood. It seems to me Jesus experienced misunderstanding throughout his life. No one got him. Or they only got aspects. Even his friends didn't get him. Even his friends struggled with him. You may, you may be old enough to, Dave, you may remember this. Sorry, Dave, you I do apologize. But you may remember the 60s band, The Animals. They sang a song. You know, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, don't let me be misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood his whole life. What must that be like? Like no one gets you. It probably means very few people are a safe place for you, doesn't it? When they don't, people don't get you. Mark 3 there's this passage where a couple of groups don't get him in a short spell. Obviously, it's Mark's intention to point this out. It says, then Jesus entered the house. He's been around ministering and things have been happening, signs and wonders and demons are being cast out. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. But they said, he's out of his mind. This is his family. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, the religious establishment, said he is possessed by Beelzebul, the lord of the flies. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. 
He's getting it from all sides here. His family don't get him. But more than that, they think he's going astray a bit and they want to try and take control. It says they try to take charge. Do you know what that's like? Have you got controlling family members? Heaven forbid you may be one. Jesus knows what that's like. When it just looks like, you know, here he is following the Lord's will and family members don't get him. Friend, you might be following the Lord's will this morning and family members are not getting you. As long as you're following the Lord's will, you're in the right place. And you may have to put up with misunderstanding. And then there's these teachers of the law come and slander his character. And they attribute his work to the demonic. Have you experienced that? Where not only have people tried to take control of you, they've slandered you for doing good. And you're like, well, what's going on here? I just don't get this. I've been in situations like this. I've thought, this person doesn't get me. What am I doing wrong? I remember having it pointed out. Psalm 138, verse 2. Look at this. It says, the psalmist says, You have exalted God, your word above all your name. Now, what does that mean? Well, someone's word can mean how trustworthy they are, doesn't it? You know, if someone has a, you can, you know, their word is their bond. It means they're trustworthy. God, so the psalmist is saying, you've exalted your trustworthiness over your name. What's someone's name? Well, it, it, again, it can mean their reputation. They have a good name. That company has a good name. So I think what God's saying here is, what the psalmist is saying here is, at this time, God has exalted the fact. He's raised up the fact. He, he wants us to believe he is trustworthy, and he's willing to let his reputation take a hit in the meantime. He's exalted his word, his trustworthiness, above his reputation. What's God's reputation like in the world? It's not brilliant. What's Jesus' reputation like? It's not brilliant. But God's willing to let that happen as long as people know he's trustworthy. So you can trust what God says to you. And you can follow his will. Primarily what he says in his word about Jesus. He will put his reputation right. One day he's going to put his reputation right, but he's willing to let that suffer for now. God's willing to be misunderstood. It means you can afford to let your reputation suffer if you are walking in God's will. You can afford to be misunderstood. It's going to happen, and it's likely to happen if you're trying to live as a Christian. So firstly... He experienced weakness in misunderstanding. Secondly, he experienced weakness in betrayal. He experienced betrayal. Actually, he was betrayed, wasn't he, in a sense. He was certainly abandoned by all his disciples at the end. But he was certainly betrayed by Judas. In fact, the name has become synonymous with being a traitor, hasn't it? Uh, Have I mentioned to you that I like football? Didn't. Well, let me. Chris says I haven't. Um, well, I like, quite like football, and, and the football team I support, and increasingly you can call them a football team. There was a time when you couldn't, but it's called Charlton Athletic. And we had a player, Jermaine Defoe. Jermaine Defoe used to play for England. He was brought up. We loved him like a son at Charlton. 
He was brought up through our academy. We made him what he was, and when West Ham came with money for him, he went. Anyway, he did. Anyway, he then came and played against Charlton for West Ham, and we enjoyed it. I I probably didn't join in, I'm sure, because I wouldn't slander him like this. But the Charlton fans, Judas, Judas. Why? Because he'd he'd abandoned us. He was a traitor. The word's become synonymous, hasn't it, with betraying. Do you know what that feels like? Do you know what it is to have someone stab you in the back? And this was a friend. This was Jesus' friend. You know, the one I dip the bread in the wine and give the bread to is the one that will betray me. That was a sign. That dipping the bread and offering it was a sign of friendship. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus had shared himself with Judas. He'd made himself vulnerable to him. He'd opened his heart up to him. And the guy betrays him for money, for cash, filthy lucre. Betrayal is so painful, isn't it? And as it left us struggling to let others in, because we've been betrayed once and I'm not going there again. I'm not opening myself up again like that. He's been there. And he sympathizes with your weakness. Hallelujah. He's experienced betrayal. And he's experienced grief. Where we feel very, very alone. I think we've become more aware of grief and bereavement over the last two years, haven't we? Part of that is because we have lost people, you know, as a society. And some of us have lost people. Last Sunday evening, we had a precious time together, a reflection service, just trying to remember those we've lost in this season. But I think it's been compounded by the fact we've not been able to grieve as we would normally. I've taken funeral services for folks that were part of our church, loved brothers and sisters, and there's been six of us in a room. And that's not how, that's not, that doesn't help us to the same extent with our grieving, does it? Because people want to join in and celebrate the life of the person that we're remembering. And it can't happen. We can't do that as a community, or we've not been able to do that as a community in this season. So I think we've become more aware of grief. And we see at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus knew grief. Some of the words in that passage, it talks about he was moved. There was a gut level grief for his friend. And as he saw Mary and Martha grieving. And the shortest verse in the Bible says simply, and Jesus wept. And folks saw him Grieving, and they said, See how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. Grief is so, so profound. My own experience has been, particularly losing my mum, that, I th- well, I thought I'd grieved. You know, I, I t- shed tears not long after she died, and well, that's, that's grief done, isn't it? And then 
months later, there's stuff in me, I think, possibly even, well, it is today. Somebody said to me the other day who knows about these things, you know, it's a short time. It's only three, four years ago. That's only a short period for losing someone so close. At my mum's funeral, my son Josh uh, sang a song by Ed Sheeran. It's, it's called Supermarket Flowers. But it has in there the line, a heart that's been broken is a heart that's been loved. Grief breaks our hearts. Because either we've loved the one we've lost or they've loved us and probably both. You know, it's the pain of love, isn't it? That there's a chance you're going to get hurt. When we lose a life partner, some of you in this room, in this season of lost people that you were with for decades. And I'm sure it feels like part of you has just been ripped away. When we lose a parent, someone so close to us that was just always there. They were just always there. Now they're gone. And the grief of losing, heaven forbid, a child before their time. No one should have to bury their own children, should they? But here's the point. We're not meant to grieve at all. It's an alien experience. One day he's going to wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death. Do I hear an amen in the house of God, eh? Well, again, he knows what that feels like. I love Isaiah 53. Is that the next verse there, Anthony? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what it is to feel grief like we do. So some of us may be going through some of these situations. Some of us may be going through other situations where we're conscious of our weakness. And there's a danger that we can get stuck in those places. You know, that we, we don't grieve healthily, perhaps. Or that we hold on to that sense of betrayal. And I just want to briefly, in the time I have left, deal with this. You see, John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love, and you'll have heard it before, Eugene Peterson's version of this in John 1.14 in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What does that tell us? It says this, God comes to walk alongside us through these situations and not just be with us, not just sympathize, but to lead us through well. We will never, you know, never get over the loss of a parent or partner, but we can grieve well. And he wants to move into the neighborhood alongside us and help lead us through. There are things we can learn about betrayal and how to respond. So let's just look at these then. Firstly, he offers for misunderstanding vindication. Vindication. What's that? When God proves us right, or at least proves that we have been following him. I used to work with a gentleman called R.T. Kendall. Some of you will have heard of him. He, he had a phrase, God loves to vindicate. I think R.T.'s right. God loves to vindicate. 
You see, the danger is we can try and sort out the situation. When we're misunderstood, we can try and sort it out and put it right. We can try and defend our reputation. And maybe you've been doing that. Let me ask you, how's that gone? How's it gone, you putting the situation right? You defending yourself. Uh, Just a minute, I need to say something here. Just a minute. God loves to vindicate. And isn't it the case that many Bible characters had to let God vindicate them, prove them right? David against Saul. David with Saul. There was Joseph and his brothers. He had to go through it. He had to let God raise him up in a way he could never have done. Joseph could not have made himself prime minister of Egypt. He had to let God raise him up. There's a word for someone. You're trying to prove yourself right. Let God raise you up. Let God prove you faithful. Abraham set off not knowing whither he went and came to the promised land. People would not have understood him. So is that you? Have you been misunderstood and you're trying to sort it out? Listen, step back. Let God. He is the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. So firstly, there's vindication for misunderstanding. Secondly, there's forgiveness for betrayal. There's forgiveness for betrayal, or rather, there is grace to forgive. Maybe you're saying, I will not forgive them. I cannot forgive them. It's just not fair. You don't know what what they did to me. No, we don't. But someone has said, unforgiveness, bitterness, is like drinking poison and hoping they die. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. All sorts of things happen to him. We pray, don't we, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Well, do we? (laughs) Friend, I want to say to you, I think this picture captures it quite well. You've got to let them go. It's not saying you need to be reconciled with them. It's not saying you need to become best friends. But bitterness and unforgiveness will only eat you up. I think there's grace this morning to forgive them. And then finally, there's healing and hope for grief. If you've been brokenhearted by grief, what does it say? Isaiah 61, precious. He binds up the brokenhearted. He binds up the brokenhearted. There's healing for you. Can I say to you, if you are going through grief, let him in. Don't try and be strong. Don't try and carry on as if nothing's happened. Don't not want to visit there. You know, Ali encouraged me at the time my mum died. You need to make space and you just need to let feelings come and you need to let tears come. And it's healing. It's healing. Grief will be there. It's how it manifests itself. Grief is there. Grief will be there. If you've lost someone... Or something, a situation. It may not be a person. It may be a loss of dreams. It may be a loss of hope. If grief is there, it will reveal itself. It's just a question of how. And the thing to do is let God in to bring healing and bind up 
your grief. We, we have a pastoral care team, very skilled at what they do. They'd love to talk to you. Maybe this is prompting something. Maybe I need to talk to someone about this. I think there is stuff there. It's, maybe I need to talk to someone. We're going to begin, it's not till the spring, a bereavement journey, but folks would love to chat with you before that. We can pray for you this morning, just the Lord heals. It won't be counselling this morning, but just that the Lord ministers his spirit and begins that healing process. So the culmination of Christ's weakness was, of course, the cross. 2 Corinthians 13.4 says, He was crucified in weakness. But it goes on to say this, He lives by God's power. Folks, Paul said, I will boast in weakness because Christ's power rests on weakness. I want to encourage you, aside from the things I've said in terms of grief and forgiveness and unforgiveness and all of that, if you are feeling weak this morning, but you know you're in the Lord's will, embrace it. It's just where he's got you. Are you a parent? I spoke to one parent before the service. Weary, you know, little ones playing up, you're not getting any sleep. It's a season you're in. But allow God to come. Let his power, let his sustaining rest on weakness. Maybe your weakness is physical illness. Now we can pray for healing. We'd love to, let's make sure we've prayed for healing. But you'll know God's power in weakness. Maybe it is temptation. You're just struggling with stuff. Lean into him. I did have a sense preparing this that There was someone who, I saw a a knife making an incision and it was like a clean cut and I just sensed it's to do with betrayal that you thought there's been a parting somehow. There's been like a clean cut in a situation. There's been a parting of ways maybe and you thought the cut was clean. You thought it was, okay, that's dealt with now. But actually what's happened since is there's a wound begun to fester that maybe you've learned things about somebody else that has caused the wound to fester. It's not been a clean cut. And you realize you were betrayed. You maybe didn't think you were at first. You just thought it was one of those things. But you're finding that you've been betrayed and probably stabbed in the back. There's been stuff happened in, in the past that you hadn't realized was happening. And the wound is festering. Again, I want to encourage you, let the Lord in. Let his healing presence and spirit in. Why don't we turn to him in prayer now? That's the banter. Just come back up, but we'll just hold it for a minute or two. So just be before the Lord. You might want to come open-handed. You might just want to open your hands to the Lord and give him whatever you need to give him. Ask him to help with whatever you need help with. I've no doubt, I've no doubt, law of averages says this, that either in the room or online, there are some of you you need to forgive. God's not holding that over you as a big stick. It's just for your sake, you need to forgive. Why don't you let the person go? Again, you might be holding your hands open. You might be saying, Lord, I give you this person. I forgive them.
And Lord, I pray for anyone experiencing grief this morning. Again, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you minister healing? I do want to encourage you, friend. You need to own your grief. It's happened and it's really, really difficult. Again, the Lord wants to meet you in that place. I encourage you, take off the mask. Don't, I'm not, I'm not criticising you, I'm just trying to encourage you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is in a place where they've been misunderstood. Spirit of God, would you just give them that faith to believe that if they are walking with you, the light of vindication will come. And finally, Lord, for any situations where folks find themselves in weakness, Lord, we give ourselves to you now. We confess our weakness. We do thank you, Jesus, that you sympathize with us in our weakness. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come now and minister strength to us? Let's just take a few seconds, just in the quiet, just in your heart, say, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I speak life and hope and joy in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.